Morning, everyone. <clears throat> I forgot to bring my phone on the dog walk, so you're just going to have to listen to my daughter's wet sneakers rattling around in the dryer in the background there while I sit on the couch. I wanted to talk today about all the things that I've learned about working for myself over the 15 years that I've been working for myself almost exclusively. I've held uh, a number of short-term jobs, especially in the early part of that period. Um, but they were always seasonal and often part-time. And the rest of the time I've worked for myself. Uh, and for the last four, five years, no longer, six years, I've worked for myself exclusively maybe five years. Um, and in that time, I've come to recognize a number of things that uh, I had to sort of muddle my way through to figure out and that I wish I'd found spelled out for me somewhere so that I had a better sense of what I was up against and what would be helpful. Throughout it all, I had... Um, an optimism that it would work out. And I've also, I would say, had a conservative bent in that my reasons for working for myself are because I feel like that is the safer option rather than working for myself as being a leap of some willingness to take risks. It actually feels less risky to me to work for myself and to always be in control of what happens to me than to agree to the bargain that you strike when you work for someone else, which is they give you short-term security for the long-term risk of hitting a dead end with them and having to start over somewhere else. So the first important thing, I think, when you're starting out and you have an idea that you want to work for yourself, is to give yourself a runway. And you give yourself a runway by having a different job. Maybe several different jobs. And you give yourself a runway because it always takes longer than you think it's going to take for something to work out. It takes years for something to work out to the level where it's really paying you properly for your time and really feels solid and stable. And I know this because I've had four different businesses now. Uh, and each one of them took years to develop to a point where it was actually a meaningful part of my income and felt stable. And in several instances with these businesses, uh, I felt like it should be happening quicker. And I should have known better because it, it just takes longer than you think it's going to take for the right people to find you, to build a customer base, to develop an expertise that people value, to develop systems that will work out. And... I think it takes especially long when you're young and when you're starting out and you don't, you're not building a business on with sort of all the expertise that you have. 
And when you are It takes especially long if you are not simply optimizing for money in, but instead are driven by a sense of wanting to do a certain thing. I think if you if you just need money, it's probably possible to build something more quickly than if you have an idea of what it is that you want to do and it doesn't happen to line up with what society more broadly or popular culture more broadly conceives of as valuable. It doesn't mean you can't figure out how to do that. I mean, I carve living, I carve spoons for a living for crying out loud, but, uh, but it does mean that it's going to take more time because it's a, it's a relatively untrodden path that is relatively more difficult. And there that all of that translates to just needing more time. So, Buckle in for the long haul and plan for it to take a long time. You're going to need to carefully calibrate your stamina so that you don't burn out. Because the biggest danger to you, to it not working out, is you deciding that it hasn't worked out and that you're going to stop and do something else. And pivoting like that is sometimes good because something truly doesn't seem like it's going to work out and maybe you'd be happier doing something else. But pivoting also means to some extent abandoning all of the progress that you've made and starting over again somewhere else. And so if you spend your life pivoting and pivoting and pivoting, it's very hard to build the kind of traction and accretion of value that you get when you stick with something. So that's a balance that you have to strike. One of the other ways that you can create a runway for yourself is to aggressively trim your expenses. Tighten your belt. Um, and, And look for any ways, particularly large ways, that you can reduce your expenses so that you simply have uh, less strain on your system for that. I have a great aversion to going into debt for anything, so I am definitely not recommending that you borrow money to do the thing that you want to do, in large part because you can get in over your head by essentially needing to start at a scale that justifies the money that you borrowed, And that scale might not be the scale that is actually going to work to build up your business. And the time frame involved in the loan might also not work. So you're arbitrarily setting boundaries on something that isn't going to necessarily benefit from those boundaries. I even think this for things like farms where there are real demonstrated ways in which you could take capital and, and invest it in ways that would be valuable, like building a, uh, a greenhouse or something like that. Um, I feel like it, the, the analogy that comes to me is, is when you are starting out learning how to garden, it's super tempting to get someone with a plow or a rototiller to come and rototill up a huge area for you 
<clears throat> and then you have this huge area that you're trying to manage and turn into a garden all at once. And it's completely overwhelming. And you're trying to learn how to garden and deal with this giant space that is, that is a space that was defined by a machine, not by a human being. But then you're trying to deal with it as a human being. And so there's a mismatch between the machinery used to create the situation in the first place and the machinery and the, and the human being uh, trying to manage it. And that's the same thing that happens with business in many instances where you accept capital to, to get the business off the ground is the, the scale of the capital is out of calibration often with the scale of the opportunity as it first exists. And I think that's a big place where people get into trouble. When you're starting out, you're not going to know exactly what's going to work. And so I think it's incredibly important to have a whole bunch of ideas and to continue to have a whole bunch of ideas so that you never get down to just one or two things that you do. I think it's so important to have multiple things that you do because different things are going to work out better at different times because of um, random circumstances where you meet somebody who helps you with this thing and if you hadn't met them then this thing wouldn't have been such a viable thing or you uh, you know you get that one customer who asked for the thing that then leads to the next thing that leads to the next thing and if you hadn't had that one customer well it wouldn't have it wouldn't have gone anywhere and <clears throat> so when I was starting out working for myself, I was throwing all sorts of things at the wall in terms of what I was offering. And it, it's not necessarily more than what I offer now, but they were definitely, uh, what's so valuable about what I have now is it's the stuff that stuck around that was working. So now I have a conglomeration of things, you know, six, seven, eight different things that I do that generate income that all have some proven track record of actually being in demand. Whereas the six, seven, eight things I was trying at first, I had no sense if they were in demand or not. They were just things that I was interested in. And some of them stuck and some of them didn't and some of them worked out long term and some of them didn't. But I had no way of knowing at first. And if I had decided that this one thing was what I wanted to do, much more likely that I would have folded. It can be lonely to start a business, um, well, let's say to start working for yourself because by definition you're working for yourself and that often means you're working by yourself. And it becomes more important than ever to have routines that structure your day so that you're not just living some artist's lifestyle, some romantic vision of an artist's lifestyle where you get up and you ask yourself, what do I feel like doing today? That might feel good for a couple days, <clears throat> but it's incredibly difficult psychologically to do that day after day after day. And frankly, you end up getting a fraction done of what you could get done. And it's not that getting more done is necessarily better, but when you don't know what's going to work, getting more done is definitely better, especially if it's spread out over a number of things, because you just need movement. You need churn through these different ideas for them to work out or not work out. And an idea is useless until you actually do something about it. One of my favorite quotes of all time 
and I put it in the front of each pocket notebook that I have. So when I replace each pocket notebook, I write this quote in the front to remind myself about it. It's by Orson Scott Card, a novelist, in which he says that one idea is as worthless as another until you actually do something about it. And then it is the action, not the word, that matters. So the, by action, I mean the more you can push and push and push on an idea and actually do stuff about it, that's what moves it forward. And you have no idea of, of, you have no proof of whether an idea is any good or what part of it might be good or how you should move it forward without the action around it, without the movement around it that's going to tell you something, that's going to give you some signal of whether it's good or bad or you should do this or that. And so a routine helps you just keep kicking all those different cans down the road so that you start to discern the signal from the noise from them. One of the things that I've learned from <laughs> over and over again, uh, and that is also at odds with the romanticized view of the artist's lifestyle, is that... Um, is that there is a there is a balancing act between serving customers and serving yourself. We have this idea, oh, I just want to be able to do what I want to do and then and then have people want it. But that's an incredibly privileged position and you need to work if to get to that place if that's what you want. So the world owes you nothing. And people want what they want. And if you want to do what you want to do, well, then you need to be clever enough to figure out how to do it in such a way that you attract the right people who want what it is that you do. There are lots of ways you can go about doing things where you're not attracting the right people. It doesn't mean they don't exist, but you aren't doing the right things to make them even aware that you exist. So in some senses, it's easier to simply ask, well, what do people want? And then do that. But in many instances, that ends up with you doing a job that you don't actually really care about because it isn't something that you wanted to do in the first place. You're just doing it because you see that there's demand for it. And that's not a bad move if you need money. If you need to support yourself or your family, you should absolutely be asking yourself this. And to a certain extent, you should be asking yourself this all the time. But it, of course, needs to be balanced if you want to have uh, a life that you're really happy with, with asking yourself, well, what is it that I want to do? What are my non-negotiables? You know, what do I, what would ruin this for me? So for me, it would ruin spoon carving for me if I started churning out things with a bandsaw. So I don't do it. I haven't pursued that even when I could. And I'm really happy with that decision. It's not to say that decision won't change in the future, but I'm happy with that decision. I've decided to stop teaching in person, even though I could potentially start up teaching again. I've decided not to do that, even though there are customers who would pay for that. I'm making choices all the time about what it is that I want to do and not do, but I'm making those choices within the context of how badly do I need the money and can I set up a situation where 
enough people want what it is that I want to do that I don't have to do things that I don't want to do. And that's the position that I think if you're working for yourself, you want to move yourself towards that position at all times. You're going to find that as you do this, that your reputation, which is another old-fashioned word for personal brand, is everything. Your personal brand, your reputation is how people are going to find you and be interested in what you're doing. And your reputation and personal brand is how people are going to feel um, safe enough to reach out and ask you for things. Whether that's something that you already offer or something that they just think you might be willing to do. And your reputation is also what protects you from, from the world which can be any number of things. It can be your peers. It can be people who don't know you at all. It can be circumstances. Your reputation is what protects you from the world tearing you down. Because there is a force in the world that is um, that likes entropy, that likes chaos, that, that will tend towards that, will tend toward the dissolution of things without energy put in in the opposite direction to hold things together. And the energy you put into your life and into how you communicate to people about yourself is the wall that separates you from entropy. One of the things that I came to realize that has been really helpful for me and that has been helpful from a reputation standpoint, but also from a, uh, also from a serving the customer's needs, not my own point of view is sharing what I know. I happen to be in a field spoon carving where a lot of people are also into it and are trying to learn it. And the main way that people find out about me, social media, is also conveniently a good way to share what I know. And you could look at it in a more jealous way and say, well, this I, I know what I know, and that's the valuable thing. I shouldn't give away the, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't give that away. People should pay me for it. And what I've found instead is that the more I've given away, the more people want to give me money for different things. Um, and... It doesn't mean that I can't be smart about it and share what I know for free in one way and then also offers it for in a way that people can pay me money. And I've done that in any number of ways. But sharing what I know for free is the thing that gets people to even know who I am because the, the great enemy of our dreams is not is not sharing what we know. It's people not knowing that we exist in the first place or not caring that we exist if, if we are there. How many spoon carvers have you seen their profiles of and you, you don't think twice about them because they're not actually giving you anything that you're interested in. They're not a resource for you. 
So whatever it is that you do or are trying to do, the more you can be a resource for the people who you want to be your customers, the more they're going to find you useful and helpful and know who you are. And that is the crucial first step. As you proceed down this journey of working for yourself, it's so important to keep evolving and learning and pushing forward into new things. And I think it's valuable to do this in a way where you are evolving in such a way that you become better and better at a few things while you keep expanding the ways in which you offer it and explore it. But that you, I think the value, the real value is in going deep in something rather than going shallow. And going shallow is definitely um, where a lot of people are drawn and they go shallow because they get bored. Um, they go shallow because they're interested in, in lots of things. And perhaps they go shallow because you hit a wall when you start to go deep. And there is a certain amount of effort and stamina required to get beyond that wall, to get truly good at something. And there is a steeper learning curve at the beginning of the process where you feel like you're really grasping a lot of something at first and it's exciting and intoxicating. But for the very reason that many people are able to have this steep learning curve at the beginning of something, it also makes it so that you're not setting yourself apart from other people by doing that. And that gets me to the next point, which is that it is so crucial to do what other people aren't doing or what other people won't do. And maybe that's something big and crazy and scary, like how I felt about starting the magazine. And maybe it's something more prosaic, like sticking with just one thing and not spreading yourself thin because you see everyone else exploring and trying all these new trends and that's great. That's exciting. But you see that it's where other people aren't going, aren't willing to go or simply aren't going is where the opportunity lies. And that's true more broadly as well. It is, it is, it is where your peers in a, in a given scene, if you're trying to be professional at something, it's what your peers are not willing to do where the opportunity lies. And, and often what happens when you do the thing that other people are not willing to do, and when you stick with just a handful of things, you become really good at something. And this becomes valuable in its own right, especially if you are sharing enough of your journey that people see you becoming good and see you being someone to look up to because of your skill in a thing. And it doesn't matter if your skill is a physical skill in making something or your skill is that you have insights that other people don't have because you've stuck with something longer or you have done more reading or you um, have uh, exposed yourself to more diverse views than is typical. 
or you've given yourself experiences by, by starting things. When you are really, really good at something, that, that reputation, that street cred, that personal brand precedes you to a great extent and is a big part of what brings people to you. Um, and when they see you, they recognize a certain quality that might be hard to define exactly where it is, you know, in such a way that you could apply it across everybody. But when people see it, they know it. And it shapes how they think about you, whether you are okay with that idea or not. It's simply true. Often, however, we forget to keep talking about our things. We get burned out on social media or we feel uncomfortable talking about ourselves in the first place or we simply feel like we've said it all and we would be repeating ourselves. But one thing I've learned over and over again is that nobody is paying attention to yourself as closely as you are paying attention to yourself. And so nobody is hearing everything that you are saying and everything that you are offering. And it's important to remember when somebody reaches out and asks some question where you're like, geez, didn't they see the post I did three posts ago? Well, no, they clearly didn't. And it's not up to them to see the thing that you put out into the world. They are living their own lives, which are rich and full of things, and it does not revolve around you. And, and so it is incumbent upon us to show up day after day after day. If this is what you want to do, if this is how you want to exist in the world, working for yourself, guess what? Even if you worked for somebody else, you would still have to show up day after day. How many, I don't know, brands of breakfast cereal used to feel so relevant and then you feel so nostalgic about still, but you don't actually think about them in the moment because now you have your own routines where you're not buying Frosted Flakes the way you used to as a kid. And you still feel nostalgic about Tony the Tiger and you still like to sing the jingle, but I'm just... I'm pulling this out of, out of a hat here, but uh, you know, you're not, they haven't done a good job. I don't know if they've done a good job or not, but let's say they haven't done a good job about staying relevant in your life, about remaining there in front of you as a cultural force through their expenditure of effort and time and money and through serving you in different ways and serving you can be as simple as giving you a great jingle that you love to sing. Or, or a good tagline. And, and so you've moved on with your life. You've moved on and, you, and now you get some cereal and, you know, shipped directly to your door from some keto-friendly whatever, whatever. And that should be a good reminder to each of us that the world owes us nothing and the world will move on. And part of how we get to continue to play is to continue to expend our effort and to put ourselves out there. And that doesn't ever go away. There's never a point where the, the algorithm is going to do it for you. You need to continue to innovate 
and put yourself out there and share and share and share. Over and over again, I've learned that someone, one person asking me for something is more powerful and meaningful than my intuition. So a big part of the, the things that have worked out that now form the portfolio of how I spend my time and effort and how I earn my money, many of these things were things that somebody reached out and asked me for. The Spoon of the Month Club, the Spoon Blanks, the Tools, the teaching, the book. These are all things that somebody reached out and asked me if I would do for them. And I was, I would say if I was smart at all, it was that I was smart enough to say yes and to try it. And that list outnumbers the list of things that I have come up with on my own where I had some idea that I thought was a good idea. Many of the things that I thought were good ideas have not panned out. And the things that someone else has asked me for have panned out. And the reason for that is because someone asking you for something is the tip of an iceberg. That one person who actually reaches out represents 10 50, 100 people who also want the same thing. They just haven't reached out to you yet. Whereas you having an idea, an intuition, is not the tip of any iceberg. It's just an idea or intuition. It doesn't actually carry any signal. Whereas someone reaching out carries a real signal that there is a demand for this thing. And so it is well to explore things that people reach out to you about. Once you have begun to get good at something, once you've begun to get your feet under you, once you've begun to develop a reputation, once you've begun to figure out the things that are working out and have a sense of what it is that people are interested in, it can be tremendously beneficial if you're working for yourself to try and find some way to host the party. Doesn't mean you need to be the only one hosting the party. Doesn't mean you need to host the whole party. But if you can host the party, then by definition, you have more control over the culture at large than you would if you didn't. So in the spoon carving community, people hosting the party are Barn and Robin with Spoonfest. It's it's uh, it's Mike and and Mike with Sloydcast. It's it's the people with the it's the people with the magazine. It's the people with the podcast. It's the people with the festival. It's the people with the website. It used to be Pinewood Forge was the place to go for spoon carving because that's where all the links were to all the different things online. If you found Pinewood Forge, you would found the hub. That's what I found when I first started. And so 
it can look any number of different ways and sort of what opportunities are going to be the right opportunities to go for it's going to be different depending on your propensities and 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 what is already out there and whether you're trying to make it something that makes you money or not but finding some way to be a hub that people will find it valuable to find you not just because of what you yourself are doing but because you're bringing together resources and helping to create the culture more broadly as an aggregator rather than simply creating the culture through your own individual contributions that is a that is a tremendous way to find yourself at the center of things but it does require doing things that other people aren't willing to do. Otherwise, people would have done it. So expect if you decide to go down this route, I wouldn't do this until you were a little further into your journey, but expect if you decide to do this that it is going to require more effort from you, but that the benefit to you will be commensurate to the effort that you put in. And then finally, on a drier note, if you decide to work for yourself, spend some time getting your admin stuff in order. Figure out what systems are going to work for you. Figure out what you're legally required to collect and report and gather and figure out how it's going to, how you're going to be compliant with all the appropriate ways so that you don't get to the end of the year and realize that the tax situation is a total disaster or that you wish that you'd known that you were going to have to collect this tax or that you weren't insured when you needed to be or that you uh, spent all the money that you got from selling spoons on other people's spoons or on tools and that you didn't actually make any money even though you could have if you just been a little clearer with yourself about what your goals were and, and had systems set up so that it wasn't just the revolving door of PayPal. So set up your systems, open a bank account, talk to an accountant, do your research, and then settle in for the long haul. I hope all that was helpful. It's one of the longer podcasts I've ever done. I'm going to try doing some longer podcasts like this um, when I find myself with the time and energy to do them. Uh, please let me know if it's something that you find helpful. I know when I listen to podcasts, one of the reasons I try to keep having you know basically no preamble or, or thing wrap up at the end is that when I'm listening to short podcasts and a hefty proportion of that podcast turns out to be their preamble and their ads, I find it so frustrating because I don't want to listen to a couple minutes of ads in order to listen to a five-minute podcast. So I, I don't have ads and I don't really have a preamble. But I also recognize that even without that, sometimes five-minute podcasts are, well, they don't allow you to get into something in, in as much detail. And, and also, sometimes you just want to settle into a topic for 30 minutes to an hour because it fits better with, say, a commute or a window of time. Um, and for me, that's uh, it's something that I'm building myself, that I've built myself up to, to be able to 
uh, talk meaningfully about these things. Um, so let me know if you like this, uh, and I will try to do it more. Thanks as always for listening, everyone. Talk tomorrow.